Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. Last week's special edition of All Things Catholic featured a presentation I gave in San Antonio on marriage, the good, the messy, and the beautiful. Today we're going to continue that presentation as we explore the differences between men and women and how that plays out in a marriage. Big point here, and, and this, is, this is kind of radical. I'm just going to confess right now that this may be offensive to some people, and you could throw me out today and you know, you know, just walk right out on me, and I'll, I'll leave if you think so. But I, I'm convinced of this point, and, and St. John Paul II is convinced of this as well. Are you ready? Really radical point here. Ready? After many years of marriage, I'm convinced that men and women are different. <laughs> I know that's radical. Some of the feminists don't like that. <laughs> Men and women are different. It's part of the beauty that God has made us different, right? Because we both enrich the world differently. Do we bring our own genius? There's a feminine genius, masculine genius that we bring to the world. It's wonderful, right? Uh, but we are different. And, and those differences are also very important to note. Uh, you know, let's think about some of the ways that, that we're different. Um, one of the things St. John Paul II brings out is about how women in general, have a richer, deeper emotional life. Uh, they have a, a greater ability to connect with other people, to relate with others, a greater need for that. Men tend to have a deeper ritual, sensual life. They express their love physically, sensually. It doesn't mean that women aren't sensual, and it doesn't mean men have no feelings, but, but, but there's, a, there, there's a distinctive uh, richness to the emotional life of a woman and a distinctive deep depth to the sensual life of a man. Uh, and it's just important to be aware of that. Now, I, I, I can tell you, uh, I've seen this, this, uh, this difference. Uh, I used to, when I worked with Focus, uh, I remember leading Bible studies. And I, I led a, a men's Bible study, and I remember leading a Bible study with a group of, of, of women. And those Bible studies, I'll tell you, were very different Bible studies. You know, you saw the men show up. They've got their Bibles. They've got their marker. They're taking notes. They're thinking about it. We're analyzing the text, apologetics, how applied it, what did this word mean originally. That's how the Bible study went. The women? I don't know if we opened up the Bible all the time. <laughs> They're talking together. What's happening on campus? We're sharing life. They're laughing. They're crying. I mean, it was all this like real great connection. It was beautiful. You know, it, it doesn't mean that they didn't get into the, the depths of the text itself. It doesn't mean that the men didn't share about their life. But there was definitely a great difference uh, in, in the overall tone. Uh, I once saw a study, and I don't know how scientific this is, so don't, don't hold me to this, but I did, I did see this reported once, uh, and everywhere I go, everyone says this is generally the same, so I'm going to be careful. I don't want to make any stereotypes here, but, but, I, but I, did saw, I did see one study show that uh, women have a greater need for conversation than men in general. That may not be the case for every individual, so let's be careful, careful there. But, but in general, women have a greater need for conversation, and this one study said that the women have a need for to speak about uh, 25,000 words a day. Whereas the man has the need to speak about 12,000 words a day. All right, so just picture that. So picture my life. My, my job is talking, right? I teach. So I'm teaching my students, and then I'm in meetings all day talking. So when I drive home from work, I'm at about 11,998. <laughs> Okay. Meanwhile, my wife over here, she's been at home. She's reading Curious George, rides a bike, not having much adult conversation. Uh, and so as soon as I come into the door, it's like, oh, honey, adult conversation time. You know, how was 
was your day? And I say, it was good, 12,001. <laughs> How'd that meeting go? Fine, 12,002. <laughs> you know, but I, 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 re I realize that conversation can't be just about me. And as much as that might be true, that when I'm driving home, I want to see my wife and I want to see my kids, there is a part of me that wants to just, can I just go up and change? You know, maybe check a sports score. I'd love to read a paper if I could. You know, there's a part of me that wants to just kind of have a, not a lot, but just a little bit of just decompressing time alone. And then I can go back and engage. But I realize my wife has been working her tail off all day long, pouring her life out into our kids, and conversation isn't just about me and what's interesting for me. And so I need to go and engage in conversation, not just go hide or go check a score or read a paper. I, I need to be present to her and present to the kids. She needs that. Uh, and I used to always just ask her questions. Oh, how was your day? Because that didn't require many words on my part. <laughs> but I realized she wanted more than just for me to ask her questions. She wanted me to share. And I admit, I'm one of those guys, I'm not a sharing kind of guy. But I, but I knew it was important to her, so I actually had to tell her some details. I, I had to tell her details about the meeting. I go, why does she want to know about the meeting? I'll tell you, this is what happened. We proposed this, and they didn't want the... I, I mean, she wants to know those things. And again, that's an example of getting out of oneself to serve another. Uh, another thing here, John Paul II says this about the great gift of women, their ability, to, again, the genius of womanhood, to, to read situations, to, to, to be able to understand relationships better. It's amazing. You know, I, I, I see a situation with my kids, and I'll see, you know, two kids fighting, one kid's picking on the other kid, and I, I, I walk in, I'll just go, oh, I just see that. Oh, okay, we got a discipline. You're in trouble. What's going on here? And Beth will tap me on the shoulder, pull me aside. Hey, you know, he's having a rough day. His older sibling was picking on him, and that's why he's doing it to the younger one. I think if you just spend time on it with him, you know, that, that'll really help. And I just sit back and go, how does she always know this? Uh, it's amazing. She can just understand where the kids are at, have a better sense this is what they need. And, and, I, and I, I, I learn from that. I draw from that. It's a wonderful gift. John Paul II said something fascinating about the women in marriage. He said that women have a greater right to tenderness in their marriage. Now, he describes tenderness as the ability to enter into the emotional sphere of the other, to know what's going on, what's weighing on their heart, uh, what their hopes are, what their fears are, what their struggles are. Their, do you understand what's really going on in the soul of your spouse? And we should do this you know, for each other, man and woman. But he says women have a, a special right to tenderness in marriage. Why? Because there's this deeper emotional sphere that they have. Uh, and it's something that we may not always fully understand, but we need this. We need to do this as men. Um, you know, you think about what a woman goes through. He talks about how, you know, women go through many changes in their life, uh, especially if they have children. All right, so think about a woman single, she gets married, and if she starts having children, all the changes a woman goes through. I mean, I don't mean just physiologically, but emotionally, everything. Uh, I watch this. I remember watching my wife go through this, and all of a sudden, she's pregnant, and, she just, and, and she's exhausted. I knew women got tired. But I, I goes, that tired? I mean, she's sleeping all the time. Really? Does she need to sleep that much? I, mean, I was just blown away. <laughs> just physically, all that the woman goes through, right? You know, and then, and then the last trimester, just how uncomfortable she is. I mean, oh, I, I, this is incredible. I, I could never do this. And then childbirth? Oh, my goodness. That's intense. God bless the many moms that go through that. But I remember thinking naively. Yes, yeah, let's hear it for the moms. Thank you, moms. But I remember thinking, okay, whew, 
All right, the baby's born. We can bring the baby home. All right, now it's going to all get easier. <laughs> I had no idea what a woman goes through beyond all that. I thought, okay, childbirth, and then, then it's going to get this, it's easier. Oh, my goodness. I mean, you, you come home. There's nursing. There's, is it the baby going to latch on? Is the baby okay? And you're looking at this child. Is the baby alive? Is it breathing? It's not, oh, is it okay? You know, uh, you know, and then there's, you know, okay, I'm learning how to change diapers. And then I, I didn't even, there's new words like onesies I have to figure out. You know, and then this whole thing that comes on a couple days afterwards called engorgement. Oh, my goodness. I had the pain my wife is going through. There's machines. And oh, this was just crazy. <laughs> you know, all that a mom goes through. John Paul II says that women have a special right to tenderness. I can remember a good friend of mine. You know, uh, shortly after the baby was born, called me and says, hey, are you spending some extra time with your wife? I said, what do you mean extra? I mean, I see her and I'm helping, you know, I hold the baby so she can sleep. No, 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 you need to spend time with her. Because right now, she's, she's, she feels vulnerable, she's exhausted, there's a lot of change. You need to really enter into her world. Honey, I'm, I'm in the middle of a talk right now. Can I, can I call you back? I've got a thousand people here. Oh no, maybe 400. I'll call you back. Okay, I love you. Bye. <laughs> that was my wife. It really was. I'm not kidding. That was not set up. So there I am. I'm living this out really well. I was kidding. So, but, but my friend was really encouraging me to enter into her emotional <laughs> sphere. Uh, and, and that's not just you know, during pregnancy or after a baby. It really is just generally, right? Because again, women have this deeper, richer emotional life. And, and we as men, we don't get this because we're not wired this way. I mean, we have emotions, but we don't, ha we don't have that need like, like a woman does. Just like the other way. Think about it this way, guys. We're more sensual, right? We're more sensual than, than women are. Right, And so this is you know, why many women don't understand. They often wonder, why does he want to do this so much? <laughs> you know, the, the guy says, hey, do you, do you want to you know, have intimacy tonight? Or whatever? And then the woman's like, what, what, didn't we just do that last week? <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean they don't want to. It's just not as, as, as pressing a, a, as it is for the guy. So God made us differently. And just as women don't understand, and it doesn't mean they don't like us. It's just that they're not wired that way. We are wired differently. And so we don't appreciate how much we really need to enter into their sphere. And by the way, when it comes to sexuality itself, this is really important to understand this difference. Because John Paul II, in his beautiful Theology of the Body, taught that this beautiful act, the sexual act, is not just a physical act of pleasure. It's not just about sexual satisfaction, sexual release. That's not what this is about only. It's much more than that. That the joining of the two bodies is meant to actually be a joining of the two persons. That as we give of ourselves physically to each other, all that we are physically holding nothing back, we're giving ourselves emotionally, spiritually as well. So, it's, so, so the, the physical union expresses a profound spiritual union, a profound personal union. And, and so the, this is why it's, it's very important for both, the, so it's not, not just something physical, but a joining of hearts together. When husband and wife feel like they're connecting well, they feel like they're connecting heart to heart well, then that physical act of marital intercourse is simply an expression of what already exists profoundly, heart to heart between husband and wife. But when the, our, our wives don't feel like we're connecting with them well, 
then they're not going to be as interested in expressing that love physically if we haven't really taken the time to enter into her heart well. So think of the physical as merely an expression of what's already existing, that emotional connection, that heart-to-heart personal time. Now, some other things we want to think about, too, in terms of uh, dealing with differences, men and women differences. Um, I have this situation that often happens at my work. I have people that will come by my office, because I, I teach at the institute, but also serve as an administrator there. And so people come to me with certain problems, you know, saying, okay, we really want to get this project done. The deadline's here, but I don't know how we're going to get it done in time because we have all these other things to do. And, I, and as soon as they tell me that, I go, okay, well, they, how about this project? Let's push this back, and then this project we'll do right now. Or they come to me and they say, we're supposed to do this, but there's not enough budget. Do you want us to do it, or do you want us to do it a little less? How do you want, you know, and, I, and I'll come immediately. They tell me the problem. I immediately go into my problem-solving mode, and I say, okay, let's, 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 let's go see. Let's put in a request, see if we can get more funds. This is too important not to do well. I want you to have the resources to do it. Boom. My wife comes to me and tells me about something going on with one of the kids or something going on with the schedule or something we might need to spend time on. And she comes in to me, and instead of immediately going like that, I have to say, oh, thank you. Tell me, what do you think about that? Uh, And I notice if I go problem-solving mode with my wife, it immediately shuts everything down. Uh, Because I've realized over the years that my wife isn't coming to me because she just wants me to solve her problem. Hmm. Uh, She's already thinking about it, and she's a little stressed about it. She wants to talk about it. She she wants to be listened to. She she wants empathy. Uh, And and, and she just wants me to listen. Uh, And so if if I really do a good job of listening, then she feels like, again, we connected heart to heart. I really understand where she's coming from. Now I can help her, and she's more open to, okay, how do we solve this problem? But I, I will tell you, I'm saying that right now, and if you were, my wife were to call back right now and you ask, how good is Ted at doing that? She'd say, oh, he, you know, about maybe three out of four times he doesn't get it right. Because <laughs> my instinct all day long at work, I'm like, okay, how do you solve problems? And I start doing that. If I go down that road with my wife, I can almost see it in her facial expression. He's not listening. He's not listening to me. And in the end, that's what she's really longing for, more than just the, the, the solution to the problem. You know, another thing I hear from many women, by the way, in marriage is this. They say, how come he can't read my mind? <laughs> is that true? I hear this from many women. How come he can't read my mind? And many women expect the man to just know what's going on in her head, how she's feeling, what she needs, how she feels, what she wants. And ladies, I've just got to tell you, that's not fair. <laughs> can't expect expect us husbands to be mind readers. You just can't. Mostly because, I'll be honest, ladies, I'm sad to say it, but we're clueless. (laughs) We really are. We're we're, we're clueless. Uh, Share with you a true story here. Um, You know, my wife, do you ever hear about that book called The the Five Love Languages? You know, it talks about how everybody expresses love in different ways and receives love certain ways. My wife's love language is gift-giving. So she's a great gift giver, and she loves to receive gifts, all right? Uh, in her case, so it's the same. So she's always very thoughtful on this is the best gift for this person. Oh, this person would really like this. And so she's always really thinking about the gifts. I'm the exact opposite. If my wife is a 10 on the gift-giving scale, I'm a zero. <laughs> my poor, poor wife. You know, I, I, you know, when I was a college student or even a, a young adult, I remember this is how I did Christmas shopping. You ready? I didn't even think about it until the morning of December 24th. 
I kid you not. I, this was my strategy. I would make a list. I'd get up in the morning, and I would run around, and my thought was, I'm going to have one really bad day, get it all done, uh, and, then, and then I got it all done. So I was fight people on the mall, all that. For one day, I can handle all the shopping, right? That's how I did things. And I'm lame. My wife is a much, much better person. Uh, but my poor wife has to, has to deal with I, And I try. I try to get good gifts. And I, and I, I do think about it. I don't, I don't know. It's just not in me. And I often think about it at the last minute. So I remember, uh, this is actually a couple years ago, I, I had noticed uh, that my, my wife, uh, when we were, whenever we do a brunch, that you know, we'd have this big you know, pancake serving and there would be this big Aunt Jemima syrup, but then she would pull out like this specialty syrup that she, that she would use for her pancakes. And I just happened to notice that and I thought, this year, I'm gonna totally get the gift right. I can't wait. I noticed something about my wife and I happened to be flying to Vermont the weekend before her birthday. And you know, Vermont is famous for its maple syrup, right? And so I just thought, oh, I've got the perfect gift. This is awesome, all right? So uh, I remember we, so we had this big brunch, the kids all, we make brunch for mom on her birthday, it was a Sunday. All right, so we had this big brunch and then you know we're serving, okay, and the kids are all giving her presents, okay, and then she's kind of like, okay, what did Ted get me? And she's wondering. She doesn't see anything. And finally, I come out with this nice, and I put it in a nice bag with, you know, some tissue paper inside. And I open it up, and she opens it up, and she goes, syrup? <laughs> syrup? Ma maple syrup? This is a joke, right? <laughs> She's kind of like, oh. I go, oh, no, honey, I, I noticed, you know, you like maple syrup. She goes, maple syrup? For my birthday? And I go, yeah, I noticed that you, you have your own little maple syrup. So I, when I was in Vermont, I got this specialty thing, you know, from Vermont. And she, and she says, but, but I'm your wife. You bought your wife maple syrup for her birthday? Maple syrup? Are you kidding me? And I said, oh, honey, I, I'm sorry. I got you this one, but there's five big jugs coming in the mail. <laughs> We're clueless. <laughs> At least I am. <laughs> uh, and so I remember later that year, uh, it's now, it's, so she has a fall birthday, and so now we're, in, we're approaching May, and we had to go to Target to get some medicine from one of the kids, and we're walking by this one aisle, and all of a sudden, Beth stops. She goes, hey, Ted, do you see this purse? This is a really, really nice purse. This could be really helpful, especially around Mom's Day. And she just walked away. <laughs> that was really helpful. I took out my phone. I took a picture. <laughs> I came back a couple days later, and I got the perfect gift for my wife. There we go. <laughs> I do have to say, I did, I did score one. I mean, that was really lame. I had my wife tell me like that. But I did get things right once really well. We, last year, we had a big... Uh, program that we were releasing in Rome. It was a video program I should share with you called Beloved. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's all about marriage. Uh, and we did a big press conference in Rome for it. And our institute wanted my wife and I to come because they didn't want to have just a bunch of guys at the press conference. They wanted the couples there because it's about marriage. Uh, and so that was a great blessing for us to get to go to Rome. But for Christmas, I surprised her. She's a big Jane Austen fan. And so on the way to Rome, I, I surprised her and told her that I was going to take her to England. And we're going to do a little pilgrimage to the sites of Jane Austen. So she got to go see it. So I, I, I told her that's, so for the next 10 years, it won't be this good, but at least I got one right here. So. <laughs>
All right. One last little little reflection here on on marriage as we're, we're thinking about it. And really, again, all that I'm drawing on here is a lot of principles that I, I write about in this book here called Men, Women, and the Mystery of Love. And a lot of them aren't really my own insights. If you notice, I'm drawing so much on St. John Paul II who was so gifted. He spent so much of his life working with young couples and, and, and he followed them all throughout his life. In fact, the last week of his life, he, he, he even sent a fax off to, to some of his old friends, these couples he invested his life with in Krakow. And he offers so much practical wisdom for living marriage well. And I remember one of the insights he gave was this, uh, about how, you know, when we are called to marriage, you know, we, we fall in love and that's easy. Falling in love is easy. But, uh, you don't work at that. That just happens, right? <laughs> you know? But growing in love, that's a different story. Growing in love is a lot of hard work, a lot of effort, a lot of dying to oneself. Uh, and he once said this in his great uh, encyclical letter on, on family, uh, marriage and family, he says, the God who calls a couple to marriage continues to call them in marriage. In the midst of the daily struggles, trials, and circumstances of daily married life. I'm going to read that again here. So, so get the idea. God calls a couple to marriage. So he got us to engagement and to our wedding day. But the call doesn't end when we say, I do, at the wedding day. God continues to call us in marriage, in the midst of the daily struggles, trials, circumstances of daily married life. And everyone here has struggles, trials, and circumstances in their married life, don't we all? We all have that. And some may be more intense than others, but don't be thinking, oh, my marriage is, why is my marriage as good as this other person's? We all have our issues, right, that we're struggling with. But what we have to see is that God didn't just call me to the sacrament of marriage. He calls me in it. He calls me right now. And he, he's meeting me right here to love my wife right now, to work through this challenge. He called me not just to say, I do, many years ago, but every day, every moment, it's a constant I do. When, when she might be in a bad mood and maybe does something that hurts me, or when I'm exhausted and I, and I don't want to get up and serve, I just want to do my own thing. And th those are the moments, Jesus, it's Jesus right there in my spouse saying, will you still say I do? Will you still try to give your best? And if you fall, will you at least say sorry? Uh, will you continue to say, I do? This is the number one place for those of us called to the sacrament of marriage. This is where God wants to form us, to mold us. It is a school of self-giving, John Paul II said. Will we say yes? Will we say I do? You know, another great image comes from Pope Benedict. I remember <laughs> Pope Benedict once talked about how, you know, the first wine at Cana, remember the first wine? That wine didn't last. It was great for a big party. It drew a lot of people together. They had a lot of fun, but it ran out. Jesus has to come into the middle of that wedding feast and bring the new wine of great abundance that lasts forever. That's what we need. We all had that initial wine that brought us in love, brought us to the altar, got us to be married. But we need to bring Christ into our marriages so that then he can transform our marriages into the new wine. So pray for your marriage. Every day you should pray for your marriage. You know what? As Catholics, marriage is a sacrament. That means God's in the midst of it, really. Many of us, we don't, how much do you really call on God? When those difficult times, you say, God, help me to be a good husband now. Help me to be a good wife. He really is there, and this is the number one place he's calling you. Will you call on him, and will you continue to say, I do?
All right, let's close in a, in a, in a prayer and know that I'll be around. I have to. I actually. I have to fly out at 3:15. Uh, I take off here to head to the airport, so I'll be at my table right after the talks. So if you want to get uh, this book here, the Men, Women, the Mystery of Love book uh, on marriage and and on, uh, whether you're engaged or whether you've been married for a long time, uh, I'd be happy to be there to sign books there. I also. I don't know how many of you were at the talk I gave earlier today. So some of you were there when I talked about how to live out the vision of Pope Francis. So that's this book here, uh, Practical for Your Daily Life. A lot of parishes I know are using this for their parish staff. There's study questions. So if you really want to understand what Pope Francis is really teaching uh, and apply it to your parish life and your family life, this could be a good resource there. Use, you can use it for small groups. But the book I'm most excited about just came out in the last two weeks from Ignatius Press. This is my book related to the Symbolon series. How many of you know about Symbolon? Okay, Symbolon was a video series to walk through the Catholic faith featuring dozens of great presenters like Jeanette Bankovic, Chris Stefanik, Jason Evert, uh, Curtis Martin, Teresa Tamio, Patrick Coffin, all these great teachers from around the country. We filmed in Rome, the Holy Land, Calcutta, and it is bringing so many conversions. It's in 4,000 parishes in its first year. And I hear stories of people who are coming back to the faith, a, a set of family that, that, that had a son away from the church for 10 years. He watched the videos, and now he's back in the church. A young married couple coming for marriage prep, not practicing. The priest begged them to watch the videos, and now they're going to Mass every Sunday. Uh, a bunch of Protestants watching these videos. My favorite story. Uh, Protestants in Florida, I met these couples, that they wanted to think about RCA, but they were too late, and so the parish gave them the videos. And this, these couples were saying, we put the kids down, we watch a Symbolon episode from 10 to 10.30. And then we say, wow, that was good. Maybe we'll watch one more episode from 10.30 to 11. Well, maybe we'll watch one more, 11 to 12. And then, and then they go to midnight, and they say, we're doing binge watching with Symbolon. And the guys say, yeah, they used to do that with Downton Abbey. You know what I mean? So if you're interested in learning more about the Symbolon series, uh, whether for yourself, your family, uh, or for your parish, I have flyers at my table uh, about this resource that is really drawing a lot of people back and, and deeper into the church. This is the book that is related to that series called Love Unveiled that addresses all the tough questions we get in our culture today that your children face, that people in our parishes are facing. Why do I need a church? Why do you talk about morality? Let's just love each other. Uh, isn't one religion as good as another? All the tough questions from our secular culture uh, is, is a walk through the faith in light of those questions. So, will you pray for me in my marriage? It's easy for me to talk about these things. Uh, but you can pray for Beth who called. <laughs> uh, and, and 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 in our marriage, we're getting ready to uh, do a big kitchen renovation. So we're going to be without a kitchen until Christmas. So we're going to need a lot of prayer. So <laughs> all right, know that I've been praying for you. I posted a picture on Facebook of, of all of you at Adoration this morning, uh, and asked all my followers around the world to, to pray for all of you at this conference. So if you could pray for me, uh, that'd be great. Let's close in a prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Glory be to the Father. And to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much. 
this special edition of All Things Catholic has featured a presentation I gave in San Antonio on marriage, the good, the messy, and the beautiful. Last week we featured the first half. This week was the conclusion of the talk on the differences between men and women. If you want to learn more about marriage, you can check out my book, Men, Women, and the Mystery of Love. It's all based on John Paul II's Theology of the Body and his work, Love and Responsibility. If you have any questions about marriage, about love, about TOB, or anything, you can always contact me on my website or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Thanks so much, and may God bless you.